Hello and welcome to Found, the TechCrunch podcast where we bring you the stories behind the startups. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm here with the co-host and the donation to my egregious spend. Jordan Crook. That's right. Always giving. You're the little good part on the selfish thing that I do. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think I'm frugal. <laughs> You're a bit of a spendthrift, but... So... That relates to what we're going to be talking about later. But first of all, Uh we've got exciting news. It's that time of year again. TechCrunch Disrupt. TechCrunch Disrupt. Disrupt. (laughs) I wonder if we'll have that music again this year. I hope so. But you can find out, listener, by attending. And that is happening October 18th through the 20th in San Francisco. You can get tickets now. And there's a secret that we can tell you specifically. Yeah. Shh. Don't tell anybody else this. Actually, you can you can tell other people this. It would probably help us. But <laughs> there's a promo code for this for listeners of the show that gets you 15% off passes, except for the online and expo type passes. But all other pass types, you can get 15% off if you use promo code FOUND. So the name of this podcast, FOUND, for 15% off. Go get your tickets now, and we'll see you in October. So today we're talking to Amr Shah and Sonia Nigam from Change which is an online donation platform that allows people to donate to charitable causes using the blockchain or regular money, fiat, as they call it in the crypto world. Yeah. Yeah. They think they're so cool calling that. It makes me think of the car. Yeah, that's right. It's just real regular money. But if you've ever tried to buy something online and it says Roundup to donate, you know, the extra amount up to the next dollar to charity, they power that kind of interaction and they're available wherever basically commerce is available. So let's hear more from Amr and Sonia about their business. Hi, Sonia. Hi, Amr. How's it going? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Great. Thanks so much for having us on here. Awesome. Okay. Well, we're really excited to have you here. And we'd love to start off by just getting a breakdown of what it is your company does. So Sonia, do you want to give a kind of the elevator pitch of uh, change? Happy to. So Change is an all-in-one donation processing platform with the goal of allowing any modern brand anywhere in the world to give back through their product. So that's just really fancy talk for, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you see roundups at checkout, that technology under the hood, democratizing it and letting the individual creator anywhere in the world to be able to use it. So that can look like roundups at checkout online. Mm-hmm. That can look like NFT creators setting it so that a percentage of their sales go to a charity of their choice. That can look like a loyalty program allowing you to donate points. We really believe that giving should be every single part of your commerce story. And so we're that platform under the hood. You might not see change. You won't see, you know, powered by change everywhere you go. But our goal is for us to be everywhere you go. And so every action online is giving back. Nice. Okay. So you have a white label option, I'm guessing, from that so that the people can be just be like, well, I don't know what's happening. Who do, it's us. We're doing it. We're giving it to you. But you're doing all the hard work. That's what we like to think. Yeah. We're doing all the, <laughs> we're doing the payments. We're doing the regulations. You know, we give back stories and analytics. So our premise is that the rising generation gives differently than our parents did. You know, my parents, at least, they gave to their alma mater once a year. It was like a secret check. We didn't even talk about it at dinner. It was just like, okay, cool. <laughs> Thanks for donating to Wisconsin. But now if I look at my Instagram, right, I'm like, all oh, my friends are going to SoulCycle for a cause, Venmo them $10. And all of a sudden we're giving back. It's really part of your identity. So that's how we position giving. So part of our platform is, yeah, the logistics to send the dollars. 
But then it's the second half of the story is you as a brand, how do you make your customers feel really good about what they did? And also, you know, build a community around it. We together planted a thousand trees. We funded X, you know, mental health therapy sessions for folks in need. And so we do the end to end logistics on the platform. Nice. Jordan, do you feel like we're part of the falling generation? So why- <laughs> I've never heard it described <laughs> as the rising generation, but now I'm like, there must be a counterpoint and that's us. <laughs> yeah, we must be. I tried to explain to my stepkid and her friend why it was really important that Serena Williams was playing in her final tournament. <laughs> and I felt like a million years old. Like, I've never felt like that in my life. I oh explain that to them. So, yeah, we got to be falling. I feel like I'm falling. Oh Okay, some off-the-top questions. Why is Web3 a part of this at all? Hmm. That's a really good question. So one of the things that we're seeing specifically with the crypto community is these are people who inherently want to give back. They've either made a lot of money in cryptocurrency, they're rallying a community around a cause, but they ultimately are looking for ways to give back. And what we saw was there wasn't a way to do that. There wasn't even a way for people to just give cryptocurrency to their favorite nonprofits. There was a variety of different tax benefits and, you know, ultimately less funds would just go to the nonprofit. So that's where change kind of fits in. And we help nonprofits accept cryptocurrency so they don't have to deal with all the accounting logistics, converting that cryptocurrency into USD and different things like that. So was that on your roadmap from day one or was that something that was added later? Very, very good question. <laughs> that was definitely something, yeah, that was definitely something that was added later. What we saw was, you know, in 2021, especially a lot of, you know, the crypto boom was happening. Everybody's jumping into Web3. And that's when, you know, these communities made a lot of money. You know, a lot of these cryptocurrencies were at the all time high and they wanted to give back. They wanted to do good and you know, give to their favorite causes. Yeah. And, you know, when we did found change in 2020, the like high level vision goal was any modern brand anywhere. And so mm-hmm. in our heads, that was like, oh, we're being really, really creative. That can be an influencer. That can be a retailer. And then by 2021, to Amr's point, you know, that modern brand had changed. That image had really, really evolved right. to also include NFT projects, PFPs, DAOs. And so for us, it was like, okay, this is a really natural extension of what our original goal was. And it really was just a tech decision to extend all of the infrastructure we had to now accept new types of currencies. We accepted virtual currencies before, right? We already accepted loyalty mm. points in different platforms. And so Solana, Ethereum, whatever it is, that's just a really natural extension of what we're doing. We're just trying to help brands give back. I feel like you're really minimizing it, but wasn't it a huge technical lift? Because it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you're saying we, we just wanted to do, but it's like... Yeah. A lot different under the hood, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, so both of us <laughs> both of us come from engineering backgrounds. And so like a really classic trait of engineers is it's just this, like, oh, it'll take a week. And so you might see that come out every so often. But yeah, I mean, to your point, it was definitely parallel payment rails. I mean, that's honestly one of the most difficult parts of working with crypto is, okay, we have mm. Solana. Now we want Ethereum. Unfortunately, that means that we need to do a lot of new duplicative work because it's not right. cross-chain very naturally. So every new chain, unless you're piggybacking off of Coinbase or whatever it be, is a lot of extra work. But it was definitely worth it because to Umber's point, we were seeing demand. We didn't jump mm-hmm. into the space thinking we were going to shake things up. We were getting people like, hey, knocking on our door, can we give this back? And unfortunately, we're turning away options. So at that point, it just made sense to expand into it. I just want to add a little bit to that where it was these brands that we were already working with or, you know, talking with, and they're the ones who wanted to get back. So when we would talk about different ways to activate their most loyal community members, they were actually coming to us and saying, hey, we want to do an NFT drop. 
where the proceeds are going to an ocean conservancy nonprofit. Can you do that? Mm. So that's when we just started exploring what that technical infrastructure look, look like, you know, how to actually make that really easy for the company in the end. I was just wondering how much the on switch for crypto, blockchain, whatever, Web3 affected your fundraising, if at all. Did you fundraise after that or before that? And how much did that like, oh, we also do crypto. <laughs> like, did that make a difference? Did it change the available pool uh, or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. No, so we definitely fundraised after we turned crypto on and after we saw traction with crypto, which I think is the more important component of that. Right, totally. And yes, I would say, you know, quite honestly, it definitely did boost the appetite for venture capital at the time. Maybe not even because of what that means today, but I think it signals that we're willing to innovate. And that we're willing to always mm -hmm. be at the frontier of tech. And that's kind of what our vision is, is our promise is we are bringing nonprofits to the frontier of technology to always be fundraising through the most modern brand. So for us to say that and then not be engaging with what was a massive wave in 2021, I think would have been a miss. So I think it was showing that we executed on our vision and, you know, whatever Web 3, 4, 5, 6 is, we will be there too. Right. Oh my God, don't even talk to me about websites. I'm the falling generation. Yeah, this, is this is my is last, last web. web. Yeah. I'm not doing more webs after this. <laughs> well, that makes a lot of sense though, because I do think that there's like, um, what does the guy call it from Sequoia? I think he called it tempo. Hmm. Like the ability to change paths or mm -hmm. to continue building or to stop building yeah. or, <laughs> right. you know, to listen and adapt is like one of the top three team TAM tempo mm. is what Sequoia always says. Yeah. So yeah. that's a good point. I don't have a question. I'm just <laughs> validating you. I'll here. take that. I'll I'm take curious. That. Just another thing on the crypto, but I, probably my last thing on the crypto, but I'm curious <laughs> about the, the, like now that it's sort of like, you know, that we had the crypto winter and everything else. And I know a lot of people are very like still very bullish about the technology and the underlying technology. But has that impacted that demand for that? Or did it make you rethink like, oh, should we have spent all those cycles doing that? Or do you still see a lot of demand? And do you still think that it, it was definitely the time and, and the tactic to take? Yeah, at, at that time, there were a lot of different things going on in cryptocurrency. So, you know, for us, since we were working with these companies, it actually helped push us to build the right infrastructure for other companies as well. So right now, what we're seeing is, you know, obviously a lot of that noise is gone now. There's less people in it. But what's interesting is that there's more loyal people in it. Yeah. And now companies are just taking a longer and more thoughtful approach on what to do with their Web3 strategy. So, you know, we have use cases that we can point to and say, hey, here's actually how to rally your community behind a cause. And here's exactly how to do it. So that honestly, it, it works out better for change because mm -hmm. we can point to some of these really cool things that other people have done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say, I mean, for our size and our phase, crypto winner might have been a good thing. You know, it was really getting kind of outrageous sometimes the ask, the opportunities. And so, you know, one big challenge from what we've seen is like, how do you hone opportunity from distraction? Yeah. And it's really difficult when you see these distractions are still going to be sending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so for us, because that noise has lessened, it's like, okay, we're really building value props. We're really being strategic with every move. And there's also less external people kind of pinging us being like, oh my God, did you see this opportunity? Are you there yet? And so honestly, <laughs> it might be a little beneficial in the long run. Yeah, with focus. I mean, so it's great that you bring up, because I think that's a really great point with crypto specifically, but uh, tons of other things have had this same feature over the years, right? It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, there's a lot of hype, but that hype is still very lucrative, especially in the moment, especially mm -hmm. if you can capture it mm -hmm. like, 
while it lasts, right? It's like, yeah, this is maybe a distraction, but like you said, it's like a hundred thousand dollar distraction, right? So it's <laughs> <Yeah>. like <laughs> maybe it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and if you think about that height from the nonprofit land, that's a hundred thousand yeah. dollars they did not have before. And you know, that's a hundred thousand dollars they couldn't even accept before. So, you know, they they just want to jump in and they just need help getting those funds. Yeah, for sure. So what attracted you guys to like giving? Mm in the mm-hmm. first place? Like, why is this a thing that you want to do? Yeah, I mean, so I'll track back a little bit into our founding story, because that's part of it. So Amr and I met back at Northwestern, we were both computer science majors day in day out grinding on different projects. And so after graduating, it was a big like flip in the switch, because I came out to San Francisco, working in software engineering, Amr stayed in Chicago and private equity. And those are just very different, right? Than like building all these projects every week and school. And so pretty much a month into it, we were texting each other like, we are so bored. Like, what are you up to in (laughs) Chicago? Because I'm an SF and I'm bored. And so we started this tradition where every Sunday we would jump on a call for like an hour and we would just throw ideas at each other. And it was supposed to be like really relentless. Like, you know, there was no stupid idea per se. And we had some pretty bad ideas. And we were chasing them. I wish you would list some of them. (laughs) Yeah, what's the worst one? Let's just pause real quick and hear the worst idea. Oh, God. Sonia, you and I may have different worst ideas. (laughs) You go go first. That's fine. Over, you go first with your worst idea. The one that always sticks out to me is that we were, I mean, I th- we had just graduated college, you know, like all our friends are like going to bars. No excuses. <laughs> yeah. We're all going to bars and uh, we were just thinking like, hey, what if we put ads in bars? Like what if, what if we allowed Patagonia to put a commercial in a bar and like those are Patagonia's most target customers. So then we literally would go like at like 6 p.m. We just draw Patagonia. Yeah, we, yeah, we just go into <laughs> yeah. bars and be like, oh, hey, you know, you should put ads on it. And turns out, no, they did not want to put ads. They want to play that music video to get people, you know, dancing <laughs> and, you know, d- drinking in that vibe. And yeah, I mean, that one kind of failed pretty quick um, <laughs> after we got got a ton of no's, but that one still sticks out to me. And what, honestly, what was really relevant to me about Chicago is like, you have this moment where you're like, does one person own every bar in Chicago? I swear, <laughs> yeah. we got a no from one bar and that meant like the whole city was blocked off. And I was like, okay, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand how Chicago works. Maybe it was just a really bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. they all felt the same. shared yeah. it on their internal message board. <laughs> There's like a group chat and they were like, blocked. These These kids are coming for you. They want to put Patagonia ads in your bar. What people are missing when they're drinking is watching advertisements. (laughs) (laughs) Like we said, it's bad. The other one I think was like, maybe this idea isn't horrible, but like there was no reason me and Amr should be doing this. Like there was no expertise we had in this was where like every single price tag in Walgreens should be like a screen. And because, you know, we see people changing prices every day. And what if it was just a screen that digitally uh-huh. updated? We have no hardware background. We have no inventory <laughs> that background. Idea. <laughs> the idea I think one day might happen, but we were walking in there and people were like, okay, cool. Like, you know, show me a demo. We're like, oh, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> we don't know yeah. how to get there. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know how to build that yeah. at all. We don't have this screen that can fit on your one inch thick price tag over here. <laughs> Not to mention you'd be the folks who build the, I'm doing a motion <laughs> right. for all of my listeners that can't yeah. see me. And it's not even clear if the motion is. I don't know what you're doing, but this is great. Getting through. It's that like sticker roller <laughs> gun where they oh, like yeah. price yeah. tag things. 
Like the mafia of that. Oh yeah, they would shut you down. Would oh. for you too. They'd be like, uh, yeah. uh, 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 oh. we've been here for two hundred years. Yeah. The, the, the music point. video people. Not yeah. to mention the folks in the labor that are using the sticker. Yeah. No, we actually so, talked to those folks and they thought we were like magic. They were like, yeah, yeah, get me one of those. Oh. I don't want to wake up at 4 a.m. Did they realize that they wouldn't have a <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess I didn't get that no. far. <laughs> I, I think for them, they were just excited that they could just update it from a computer screen really yeah. quickly. Because yeah. they, I still remember, we used to talk to these folks and they used to have to get in at like five, six in the morning because every single day they would hear from corporate and say, you know, this product needs to be this price and this is the sale. So you actually product. like explored these things. You went oh, to bars yeah. and you like, yeah, oh, yeah. they're like, let's go do some user testing. So this was once a month. So you'd spend a month just exploring ideas. The so, calls were once a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So that was a week of user testing basically, or did you spend more on that? We would get like basically once a week, we would come up with like a bunch of different ideas that we had been gathering ourselves. And then every so often we would get obsessed over an idea and then we would take it further and then maybe we would be talking about the same idea for a month and we'd come up with game plans but you know i think one thing that hopefully we continue to do well is like we admit when things are failing Mm -hmm. and so at some point you just have to sit there and be like okay this was kind of fun but also i am like sprinting from work at you know 6 p.m and i don't think there's any likes this let's reset so honestly that's kind of partially what led us to change is you know we kept resetting and one of the prevailing things was okay what value are we really bringing right like this isn't meaningful even if we were able to make a business out of ads and bars like would we feel really proud of that Mm. work honestly not really and so then we had this whole philosophical change where we were like okay let's only talk about meaningful ideas for a little bit and what we just really gravitated towards was this idea that everyone on our socials was talking about giving in a very different way. You know, it was part of their identity. They were really proud when they bought a mad happy sweatshirt. You know, I'm, I'm wearing one for all the listeners right. because it represented positive mental health. They were really excited when their soul cycle class was a fundraiser. And the difference is once again, they were public about it. They were posting it on socials. And so when we realized that we're like, okay, brands must be noticing that, recognizing that, how are they engaging their communities, knowing people care and that it's becoming table stakes to be a relevant brand today to have a mission. And so we took that same thing where we started to get in front of as many people as we could. And that's when we realized there was a breakdown. We were like, oh, wow, the best tech companies in the world based out of San Francisco at the time we were getting in front of. And they were saying we're too resource constrained to add roundups to a ride sharing app. And we're like, that's really not that big of a tech lift. There must be more. And then we realized there was regulations. Then we realized there was licensing. You know, I came from an API first background. So I think that was also a really natural gravitation where it's like, okay, what if we made an API? And Umar had worked with a bunch of different companies have been doing so much research. And he was like, yeah, every company wants something slightly different. We can't just give someone a widget and put it you know, in their app on their website. Let's create a platform. And so that's kind of how we came to change. It wasn't like we had a eureka moment. We were doing a lot of trials and testing. And at some point, we just became so into that concept. Then March of 2020 hit. We were like, this is now or never. Like brands are trying to respond to the pandemic. There was a variety of different movements going on in 2020. Mm -hmm. Like, let's give them some help. So that's when we quit our jobs. Our parents were like, you must be joking. Like March of 2020. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. um, removed from Chicago to San Francisco. Second weekend, he was in SF. I was like, this is the best city ever. Shelter in place immediately. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was day two. We were in Northwestern's EIR, like Entrepreneur Residence Program. And the second day of this program, we get in and they're like, oh, yeah, it's shelter in place. So the program shut down. 
And I was like, dope. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The one piece of advice we had gotten before doing this was just like, okay, whatever you do, don't work from home. Like it's Mm -hmm. really important to work in an office or work in a Starbucks. And so that's why we were super excited about this EIR program. It gave free office space. And then, you know, obviously what a joke that became because we (laughs) we pretty much built change in an apartment. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Daryl and I are both very well. Yeah. Well, we've been doing it for a decade or more now. (laughs) Forever. Pre-COVID, yeah, yeah. we were working from home. Thus, my spooky yeah. clothing. <laughs> my advice is that it does make you very strange as a person. That's not really advice. <laughs> it does. Yeah, no. Or like mean or whatever. It makes you a bad person. But it doesn't affect your work quality no, at, all. at all. I'm yeah. still a fantastic worker. I'm just not a good person. So can we talk a little bit more about your relationship? Like, it sounds like you guys have very common interests. You obviously our close friends, if you're like staying in contact from long distances and all of that stuff, like what roles do you guys kind of take? Like what strengths does Amar have? What weaknesses? What, how are you guys like back and forth? And is there one that's kind of like calling the shots and the other one providing the feedback? Like, how does that work? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I mean, the benefit about working together for so long is we start off just being computer science partners. So, you know, we, we, we kind of knew how each other build over the years. And we were trying all these ideas. We were able to see who kind of likes doing what, especially after we started change. It was just the two of us. So, you know, at that point, obviously both people are wearing multiple hats, but as the company's matured, we really found our own lane. For example, Sonia is the CEO. She did a great job with fundraising, like really building that investor network, really knowing how to pitch change well. You know, also from the from the recruitment side, Sonia has a lot of good contacts. We're our hiring engineers. And when you work at a company like Braintree, PayPal, where you know you're working with engineers who are building payments products. Those are the types of engineers that we want. And our first hire, Steven Traversi, who's our head of engineering, him and Sonia were interns together at Braintree during college. And then the first year when Steven was still at Braintree, they were working together. They were ping pong partners. Sonia can definitely tell us <laughs> that better than I can. You play ping pong? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. We, we, Super into ping pong. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> we're very oh, no. competitive we're with ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, that's where we just kind of like naturally found each other's roles in, in the business. And I mean, we're continuing to grow. Yeah. And, okay. Amr spoke a lot about me. So now I'm going to speak about him. Amr <laughs> um, is incredible at sales and legal management. And at Change, like we're not talking a lot about the kind of nitty gritty regulatory constraints that we're thinking right. about, but that is a really big part of our business. Like product tech, you know, that's like my background. That That's honestly the easiest part. Like we understand how to do that. Every single surprise that I think we've hit is like, oh my God, there are so many contracts we need to actually launch that product successfully. Like, oh my God, how do we get licensing rights from this nonprofit? And so he's very, very good at managing those types of relationships and getting legal unblocked. So, I mean, to Umber's point, like, yeah, we do come from CS backgrounds. And if the platform is blowing up one day, like everyone's still coding, like everyone can Mm -hmm. turn that on and start coding. But, you know, from day to day, we do have different responsibilities, roles, strengths, and I think that's the fun part. And also it's evolving, you know, part of it is we are discovering new things that we have to do that I didn't get to do in my last job, I didn't get to do in our last job. And so part of it's doing it and being like, oh my God, you like that? Great. Just take that, take that away. Yeah. I was going to ask actually, because like for me, I mean, a lot of the conversations we have are with founders who come from different backgrounds, but it's rare that we get like dual technical co-founders, right? But it sounds like yeah. you have that. It's probably so nice. Yeah, well, it sounds it sounds like it's nice. <laughs> and it sounds like you also have sort of the other 
skill sets to complement. Is there anything that you found challenging? Like you, I know nobody mentioned sales. Is that something that? No, I think. Uh, I'm all right. Do you handle sales? Isn't sales and legal? Yeah, yes. On the sales front, I mean, sales is a learning curve, especially when you're a young founder. You're, you know, you're selling to. We're a B2B platform, so we're selling to these, you know, high-level marketing folks, high-level product folks, and yeah, at that time, there is a learning curve associated with it, but. Yeah, what what we learned is you just talk about the product in the right way, get in front of the right people, and it works. But that was definitely one of the things where you know you had to just kind of pick up and go. And thankfully, you know, in the early days of change, we had a lot of good advisors, and you know, we recognized the gaps that we had. We have a great advisor, and she's a serial entrepreneur, you know, five like x founder type of person. And her main focus and her bread and butter is sales, mm. and she's just constantly giving us sales coaching and things like that. And you know, it's so helpful. Yeah, I think one thing that, you know, everyone who founds a company has to be selling 24-7. You're either yeah. selling to hire, you're selling to buy, you're selling internally to make sure everyone's excited. And so that, of course, has to come naturally. But one thing, you know, for me personally, coming from an engineering background is we are such a technical product and being able to talk about it non-technically, I think is a skill that mm. we've acquired over time. But it's so easy to start getting in the weeds when you are an API and be like, oh, no, 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 we're the best API because we have this throughput. We are so fast. We have this scale. And then, you know, you see someone's eyes gloss over and you're like, <laughs> okay, actually, yeah. what we do is connect you to 200,000 nonprofits. And so I think that that's a very, very key part of my learning curve, particularly. But also like to Daryl's point, like when you're talking to one another, Mm -hmm. because I think that there's a piece that happens very often with co-founders when you have a non-technical co-founder and a technical co-founder, which is the kind of like standard pairing. A lot of times you end up having to communicate. You have to like have some sort of key Mm -hmm. to the conversation of like, this is your threshold for what you can understand and vice versa, right? Like on the non-technical side, this is the threshold to what you'll understand because you're stuck in megabits per second (laughs) over there. (laughs) And that's that's me showing how technical I am, by the way. Are you impressed? Because I can talk to you about zeros and ones as well. (laughs) But yeah, there's like the threshold where you always have this little soft barrier. And so, you know, you guys can learn together how to do the non-technical stuff, but the hardest stuff, which feels like the technical conversations, you don't have to worry about so much, which I think is rather than having a non-technical founder who's like, hey, can you just build this yeah, one? Right. <laughs> yeah, you're like, that. bro, <laughs> that's not but how it works. I, when you mentioned, you know, kind of learning together, an interesting story is like, you know, when we're just learning how to sell together. So when the pandemic hit, we were just working out of an apartment all day, working from home and building the product. But, you know, it's, at some point, we, we just had to get out in front of retailers. And so what we started doing was basically going door to door in Hayes Valley, talking to retailers and saying, hey, can you add donations at checkout? Yep, yeah, there's two kids going up to these people and saying, hey, add an extra step when somebody is checking mm-hmm. out. And yeah, I mean, like that's, we honestly just kind of jumped into the deep end at that point. We we're just, and the first, one of the first retailers we ever worked with was Azalea in Hayes Valley, their, their clothing boutique. And the manager at that store was an entrepreneur. You know, she had, she had started some things that turned out, you know, she was just wearing this manager tag, but she was actually the owner. Hmm. And we we're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And so just by getting in there and talking to these people, and then she was actually the one who like really taught us like, hey, you know, instead of like positioning everything right at checkout, you can do it after checkout, you can do it, right. you know, in all these different applications. And 
create this marketing collateral. And just that was a very interesting learning that we actually had together because we were going door to door together. Yeah, that's like I mean, we hear that all the time, too, is like stay close to your customer is like consistently mm-hmm. the advice of the people who are doing the best of things. Right. Because it's, it's going to give you a lot of the direction of where your product's going to go. And there's no better barometer for like when you're going wrong. Right. Because someone will just tell you, like, especially if it affects their livelihood, they're going to tell you right away. Like, no, this isn't going to work. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. yeah. Like ads in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I have another question. So from March 2020 until today, since running the company, what for both of you has been the best moment, like the highest high, and what's been the lowest moment of running the company? Hmm, That's a great question. Peaks and pits. Peaks and pits. There probably isn't. This is kind of like a... This is not a cop out. I will give specific examples. I swear. Sure, (laughs) sure it is. I can tell you're setting me up for it. But I feel like because your target is such a moving target, there's like moments every single time there's a peak or a trough. It feels like the macro peak or trough, and then you look back and you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, that was micro. So even in examples in the moment, micro and macro. I think that the first customer we ever got that Umar was talking about, Azalea, that was like that high was so, so high because we weren't funded. I mean, Umar and I were taking $0 at that time. We were just like on the ground, forfeiting everything, going all in on this. And we needed someone to take a bet, right? We were at the point where we're knocking on doors in Hayes Valley and it's the pandemic. Like that is that is the level that we were at yeah. looking for a customer. And Physical retail stores right. too, who are themselves. Exactly, are exactly. Because we're like, okay, like we're cold messaging all of these retailers. Like obviously we want to be on their online store, but there's also a bunch of people that are just down the street that run businesses. Like let's just get in front of them. They can't ignore our email. Like they can ignore us at the door. Right. So when we got that one win and you know, you just need one. That's what everyone always says. Like check your ego at the door. There's going to be so many people Domino. that make fun of you that are mad <laughs> that you even took their time, but you need one person to take that bet. And that was Azalea for us that high. We were like taking Polaroid pictures every time we got a new retailer at that point. <laughs> yeah. Like we were so stoked. So I would say that was a really big one. I think in that same vein, like a really obvious low trough was that path getting there. The number of Mm -hmm. no's we got as people who didn't come from sales backgrounds, that's a very new thing to stomach. And like, Umber didn't get as nitty gritty, like to give you perspective, like we were trying to get dog food brands at one point. And so Umber's now fiance has a dog Instagram. And we were literally DMing from that dog Instagram in like dog speak, like, your product is paw perfect. Um, I, was, I was actually going to use that as my low point. Yeah. I mean, oh, really? I still think about that. I mean, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, my fiance Naomi's dog, and she oh. had made this dog Instagram account. And at the time, it probably had, like, 50 followers, like oh, her mom, God. her you know, her friends and things like that. And I was like... It wasn't even a big no. account no, that no. you're DMing people from. No, not, not, wow. not at all. And the one big learning we have, we have was like once you get a customer you need that customer to succeed especially at that point because we hadn't even we hadn't raised a pre-seed round we were trying to just build case studies and say you know look this works so what we did was you know after azalea we got that we got another dog food company but um you know okay well we need to go to their target customers and coincidentally they were like posting through a lot of dog influencers online and so, yeah, I told Naomi, I was like, I need, I need to access to this account. And she's like, why? Like, this is Milo's account. 
And she's like posting photos of Milo turning one month and two months and three months. And I was like, the content just needs to change. And we, we have a vision. So we literally, t- <laughs> I, you know, took her account. Now, I mean, that account has like 1,200 followers. And no, because we, we just like did built that account all day, <laughs> just hit follow, 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 follow. And then DM every single one saying, hey, you should buy this dog company. They are sustainable and you get to donate. So like, you know, and obviously as someone was kind of talking, like talking as like a dog parent. And at that yeah. time, you know, I didn't have a dog growing up. So I didn't know how to talk like a dog parent. So it was, uh, it was, I was like, what am I doing right now? <laughs> but, you got it yeah. pretty much. That's basically what we do. Yeah. You get put, to donate. <laughs> perfect. Oh, uh, but I lo- what I love about that is that it's a perfect example of like the... It's a perfect example. It's a perfect example of do stuff that doesn't scale because that yeah. definitely does not scale. Oh, definitely not. I love that our low yeah. is the same low. Like clearly that haunts both yeah. of us. We were like, yo, actually yeah, like, yeah, you guys are both... You you're gonna be like it's gonna you're gonna be like in retirement oh, you know, like in your golden years falling asleep yeah. napping on the couch just like oh yeah. milo's account i do milo if anyone wants to follow milo See, i swear that. oh wow yeah. you're plugging it Get out of here. Omar, uh, um, do you have a high? You want to combat that with yeah, a high? Yeah, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. yeah. So one of the highs, like, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. We launched that API first platform. And we had some retailers on there, but, you know, it wasn't the volume that, you know, we, we really wanted at the time. And our head of engineering, Steven and Sonia, actually came out with, you know, all the, our, one of the things that we're most proud of is our documentation and our developer experience. We have this, you know, really, really nice looking documentation. And, you know, we always look at Stripe as the leader in this. So, you know, it's certainly inspired by that. So we were talking to these enterprise companies and enterprise volume is way different than, you know, the, the classic like mom and pop retailer. And, you know, when the first enterprise company integrated and I saw these donations coming in like every single minute, Steven at the time and actually built this like bot that said, Sonia, you, you may remember, it was like DJ Khaled. And I, what was the, what was the phrase again? Another, uh, another one. one, another <laughs> one, and another one. And it basically had this thing that just kept saying another one, another one. And like one day it just kept going, another one, another one, another one. Another. And I was like, yep, this, this is amazing. I was in bliss that day. That was yeah. awesome. We had to turn it off. That was like the true yeah. high, right? When you had to turn it off, you're like, that's actually annoying now. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That I was love great. those are Those are good highs and lows. Yeah, for sure. You guys are clearly getting better at sales because that's good storytelling. Oh, thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe you're just naturally good storytelling. Again, story. validating. Yeah. Best podcast. We don't ever. care about your opinion, Jordan, but whatever. <laughs> I I just wanted to ask about because you two clearly are great collaborators. You've you've worked super well together for quite a long time. And you, as you mentioned, like it was just you for a long time. So how did it feel when you expanded that and started bringing people on and was it difficult because you probably had developed your own sort of like secret language Language. at this point right and like what was it like when you started getting employees and then had to transition to like oh right it's the team isn't just us now it's all kinds of people yeah i mean speaking of highs like first hire that was a really big deal for us because you know having someone else take a bet on your vision is such a different ball game. And so that felt really, really great. I'm talking about validation, very validating. I think it was interesting. You know, we were ready at that point. We had been working on change for about a year 
And so we were really proud of the traction that we had gotten. And so we were super excited to actually just move fast. At some point, you know, it's less about your relationship and more about like, okay, we don't have the resources, like we need to go. But, you know, like leading up to it, you know, Amr and I are friends. Like we are very, very casual and chill with each other. And so we were joking. We're like, next hire, like we can't do that anymore. Next hire, we can't do that anymore. (laughs) And so I think there was a little bit of like, a learning curve of, okay, you know what, we need to go into an office or we need to figure out what our work from home policy is going to be. And just formalizing things that it used to be on autopilot was definitely some time up front. But also, I think it's a really beautiful thing. You get to really kind of create the DNA of the culture that you want. And so with every hire, we have had amazing people come in and everyone is very lighthearted and fun, takes ownership, hardworking, but we really do like, we're, we're constantly laughing. Like that is like, what we want. And that's why we go into office. Like we know it's really weird that we all go into work every day, but it's, it is optional. Like you can work from home. We are totally fine with that, but people like it. Like we're just having fun all the time. So I think it's a really cool experience. And on a personal journey, it's like, it's a very fun thing to watch a team expand with such a really cool culture. And especially for our first hire, it was, it was Steven. And I kind of talked about this already, but Steven and Sonia had worked together already. And when Steven came in, it was really nice because they already had a good cadence on how to work together, how to communicate. And, you know, we were building an API first platform. Steven had spent years building that already. So, you know, the, the, the product wasn't new to him and he fit in like a glove. He, he's awesome. Right. It's funny because you a lot of what you're talking about, at least was familiar to me and Jordan, probably to you of like, you know, we're good buds. And then also me and you. Yes. Right. Is it surprising? <laughs> That's <me>? news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you realize as you expand and as you like gain responsibility for other people, it's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, oh, we can't. I really loved your example. Of like, we, we can't, can't do it sounds like you were very intentional about it which is cool too like ahead of time whereas you know me and jordan have mostly found this out <laughs> we've learned retroactively <laughs> yeah uh, yeah i mean it's been really great talking to you i think I, I had a blast talking to you and i can tell that it would probably be a blast to work for you although i don't know us in the falling generation we might not <laughs> yeah we might not be up to par you'd be like what's your influencer game i'd be like what i love that the first thing i said has just haunted the entire podcast <laughs> no it's honestly what is happening i'll tell you sonia we have these founders on and we feel older every <laughs> single episode i swear to god and sometimes they're like oh i'm a practicing cardio who's six years younger than you and I'm like go to hell (laughs) like and so it's not just you it's a you are just you yeah you're the straw and my back is broken and I'm a camera I guess I don't know (laughs) Uh, but no truly really been great and it's it's super cool to see this I mean this is a thing where I would love to see it in more places so I wish you all the best because you know whenever these things come up in in a check-it experience I'm usually like yeah why not right so like why not have it everywhere and lift Love lift it. all boats right he's over exactly. yeah. i'll remember that <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding yeah. thank you guys thanks so much <laughs> thank you all right jordan that was our conversation with Amr and sonia what did you think about change and are you pro or against charity Wow. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm just going to ignore you. I loved this episode. I loved talking to them. I thought I was a little worried when it was like so Web3 
in the intro, because I know you and I both are a little bit averse. To the third web? But they don't feel like Web3 people. I think it's less about crypto as a technology, and it's more about like the general population of the people who are really into it and how into yes. it they are, and the fact that they say fiat that bugs us. And these didn't feel like Web3 people. They were just regular people who were like, Web3 would be a good thing, or crypto, blockchain, whatever, would be a good technology for us to accomplish our mission, which is that anyone, anywhere, any retailer of any kind can power donations on their site or in their business, which I think is a cool mission. And I kind of had a, it all clicked into place moment of a friend who is like a, this is going to sound weird, but she's a a witch and she's basically like a celebrity tarot card reader. It's card Uh ZB. And she's like, built a business out of it. It's really cool. And I was like, Oh, like she could power donations. Like that was, that's such a weird click moment, but I was like, yeah, big companies could do it. Small companies could do it. But it was like the creator moment that I think was a big one for me that I could actually tie it to like a real world thing. So yeah, yeah, I really liked them. I thought it was all really interesting and they told cool stories and yeah. Yeah. They were really fun. Something we don't get that much on this show is their description of the ideation process. And we have talked about how some people are like, entrepreneurs in search of an idea and then there's the other side which is like a reluctant entrepreneur it's like the idea comes and then you're like i guess i gotta do that even though i'm it has risk averse or whatever right? chains around your neck yeah because right. you can't let it go yeah and they were clearly looking for something and they actively did and i really liked their story about how they would brainstorm these things and then go out there and you know hit the pavement test them and and yeah give user feedback and realized that these were very dumb, terrible ideas sometimes, right? Yeah, but like that's such good practice for the moment that they had an idea that did have them by the neck because they had to hit the pavement for change too. Yeah. And get out there in like a terrible time during COVID, retailers are hurting. They weren't answering their emails or calls and they were like, you know what, let's just go into some of these stores and see who we can talk to. And it's like the domino effect of that one retailer saying yes really snowballs yeah i really liked also their dynamic between the two of them you could tell there's like a lot of love there mm-hmm. a lot of respect right and yes yeah it was yeah. cool it's nice sometimes to see co-founders like that who have this kind of like shared history and are on the same page really like respect the interplay of strengths and weaknesses between the two of them and it was cool. I liked it. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, I think they were great. I think they, yeah, they're, you're right about their dynamic. Like their dynamic was really just seemed on point. Like it's hard to exactly pinpoint what it is about that, but we've talked to a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's like something X factory infectious yes. almost where you're like, man, you guys got something special between the two of you. Yeah. And you can tell they seem to energize each other, which maybe is a presumption, but like it seems like they, enhance the energy of the other which is what you want in a founding duo yeah but yeah and it was cool talking to about the dynamics of having a two technical founder team which is also something we don't come across that often right pretty rare yeah yeah i loved you know them talking about like you said their first sales like that to me i don't consider our podcast like entrepreneur inspo content for the most part i mean Mm-mm. it doesn't to me live in the same world as a gary v podcast for instance or something Listeners, if you're also a Gary Vee listener, I don't mean to insult you. Please stick around. But I hate Gary. <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> Whoa. I didn't but, know he was going to say that. Uh, <laughs> she would have stopped me if she knew. <laughs> I don't know. I was really that, inspired but. when well, they were talking about that. It was the first time I think someone has described the founder experience in a way that made me personally actually find it desirable. When they were like, oh, we went and then we landed our first customer and it felt great and they were great. And they were talking about the relationship with them. And I was like, that sounds really good. That sounds like something I would like to experience too. Yeah. I think so too. And I think, I feel like sometimes there are these founders that have this like origin story that is so practiced and kind of feels like they overcame this big challenge, but it's so practiced and it's been said so many times that it loses its whatever makes it special. Yeah. It loses the feeling you get in your like heart about it. And it didn't feel like that with those two. And I don't, think that's because they haven't told it a bunch of times. I'm sure that they have. I think it comes back to their dynamic between the two of them. And like, you'll often hear co-founders, one will say something and the other will say, well, just to add to that, and they'll say the same thing. Yeah, It really felt like they were passing the torch of a continuous story and adding new bits to it. And maybe maybe reiterating a little bit, but in a way that was very like validating and gave you an extra context or color to what they were going through. And it just felt really, really authentic. Like I never felt like, oh, this is a story you've told a thousand times. No, it it never felt like they were, I guess, reading from a briefing book to your point and like, all right, this is your section, Amr, and this is your section, Sonia, and you got to cover this and you got to cover this, which is kind of what you will get in those situations, like you said, where it's like, to your point, blah, 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 right? Like they were actually communicating with each other is one other way of putting it, right? Like they were listening and responding to each other in a very authentic, natural way, which is what you want out of a real dynamic founding team. So totally. I'd put money in them if I had any money. I don't. <laughs> we could donate. <laughs> yeah, I'll just, round, I'll keep rounding up to them, I guess. I don't think that'll work either, but you know. You just put your change in a little jar and be yeah, like, yeah, that's right. Here you go. And one, one day, day I'll be like, here you go. I have a dollar fifty and I buy everything online, but somehow I have all these quarters. <laughs> or loonies or toonies or whatever you silly Canadians have. Yeah. You're right that we do have quarters though also. We still have those. So. Oh you have quarters? Oh yes. Yeah. What about pennies? No, we don't have those. Come on. Do you have dimes? It's the twenty first century. Well yeah, we have dimes, yeah. And nickels? Uh-huh. That's right. Cool. Covered the game. Learn something. There we go. That's a great place to end. <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pekovic. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com, and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.